Hello again and welcome to another episode of Two Ways News. I'm Tony Payne. And I'm Marty Sweeney. Oh, you didn't expect that, dear listener, did you? It was not Philip Jensen today. It's Marty Sweeney from Matthias Media in the US. Great to have you with us again, Marty. Well, thank you. I have to say, everybody has at this point has to be let down when they hear my voice and not Philip's. Uh, well, I'm you... certainly not Philip Jensen. Well, you're too hard on yourself. And I wanted to get you on today and have a discussion, Marty, because... One of the curious things about our history over the past 15 years, you and me, we've been doing a lot of workshops and discussions with pastors and churches about ministry and discipleship. And often those conversations have sprung out of the trellis and the vine and all those ideas about training and discipleship and a change in mindset about the way you think about people and ministry and all those things. And we've had many, many, many conversations. But one of the fascinating things about all of that is that the whole last third of the book of The Trellis and the Vine is about a subject that no one ever asks us about. It's fascinating, Absolutely. isn't it? Isn't it? I think about it as the lost parts of Trellis and Vine. It's not lost, it's right there. But I almost feel like as many people who say, and I don't doubt them, they love the book, they've read it two, three times, they've read it with elders and leaders. But I wonder, to your point, did they read the entire book? I mean, Tony, you're a really good writer, but maybe we have a little chink in the armor here that people just f- faded off by the end of the book. Yeah, maybe it's it's like some of those movies where the where the last reel just should have been cut. It just uh, it, it's too boring. <laughs> the, the the story was told, and it was just time to finish. What's the subject of the last third of the book? Yeah, it's all about apprenticeships, ministry apprenticeships, which is interesting. It's about ministry training strategy. It's about the whole idea of recruiting people, of people worth watching, and of gathering the co-workers that you're raising up and training in ministry, gathering some of them into a kind of training program of apprenticeship to learn what it is to to be engaged in full-time ministry and to get onto a path towards full-time ministry. And certainly as Cole and I were, were conceiving of the book, it was kind of the natural sort of end point of where the book sort of finished and where it got to. But it's interesting that for many people, it doesn't seem to be as natural a consequence or something that they they want to talk about. And I want to talk to you about that today, about what ministry apprenticeship is and why it is important. Now, many people here in Australia are very familiar with the idea of ministry apprenticeship and around the world as well, of course. But I just want to ask you about it, especially for your US context. What do you mean by apprenticeship? What is it, a ministry apprenticeship? For example, how is it different perhaps to an internship, which is something that happens in a lot of, especially US churches? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I've been asked that as much as to your point, we hardly ever have been asked this in a workshop. Can we talk about a ministry apprenticeships? Once in a while, especially because my role at the church I'm at is to oversee the apprenticeship, someone will come up to me afterwards and I've had a good number of conversations. Why don't you, why do you call it an apprenticeship? Why is it an internship? Interestingly, I think it actually relates to chapter two of trellis and vine when it's all about those mind shifts, those 11 mind shifts that seem to be kind of plugged in people's minds that I think are really helpful. And one of the mind shifts is not from filling gaps to training people or something like that. I don't have it in front of me, but it's, that's the essence of it. And when I think of internships, and I think when most people think of internships, it's let's get some younger people in, maybe still in college or or in seminary. We call it seminary, theological college. And they're going to be young, eager, and cheap. (laughs) And they can help fill the gap of often youth ministry or kind of just some organizational stuff. Uh, We call them a pastoral assistant or a summer intern or something like that. 
And I think that's the problem is that it's often viewed with let's fill the gap. And I don't want to in insinuate bad motives, but let's fill the gap with eager, cheap labor. Um, and the troublesome vine is getting us to think differently and say, no, no, no. We're not just trying to get someone to be an intern to fill the holes we need or to be low cost labor. We're trying to raise up, build and train new gospel workers to maybe reach areas of gospel ministry we're not currently reaching or many other ways to fill in that sentence. And so one of the ways it's different is that just in how we use the terms is that an apprenticeship is someone who's there to learn a trade, learn the craft of ministry, and then with the eye that they will take it on themselves, go forward and be in kind of full-time ministry. Yeah, in many respects, it, it happens often before formal theological training. It's certainly That's certainly the case here in Australia, and I guess in the way that you're thinking about it there, that in one sense, it is a taste of what the full-time ministry life and vocation, that way of living is, what it means to spend your whole time seeking to minister the gospel to someone. What does it look like? What am I good at? What am I not good at? Is this for me as well? It's a, In one sense, it's a, a practical introduction to full-time gospel ministry uh, by doing it. And that's why it often usually happens in, in your case and in most cases over a more extended period of time. It's a, it's a two-year program, the program that you run and that most apprenticeships run here in Australia as well. Yeah. And the other thing, I think it's what, what's quite different, and we're trying to push against the tide of not just kind of let's fill some gaps with those type of people. Often, if it is pre-theological training college, it's often seen as let's do pre-theological training as the internship. So let's read a really good, deep, systematic theology. Uh, let's write some papers. And why don't you attend all the meetings I attend? None of that is bad and wrong, but it's very much limited to more, you know, I think I've heard from you and maybe others you know, in a very easy to understand different understanding of the difference between teaching and training as teachings imparting knowledge, trainings imparting skill. And I feel like our internships, how many people do them, is imparting knowledge. Let's read a deep book. Let's talk about it. Great. But we're not parting, imparting the skill of ministry, of helping people move towards maturity in Christ through word and prayer and through personal or group relationships through the proclamation of the word. And so that would be a big difference is, is not just kind of the, the structure idea of it, filling gaps, but actually the, the method of it. An apprenticeship is more, come alongside me, let's do ministry together and I'll help you so that I can deploy you to be a gospel minister on your own, so to speak. Yeah, that's really helpful, Marty. It's interesting, those two things, the teaching and training, they're, they're so closely linked, aren't they? You'd want to say a gospel teaching that doesn't play out in action and practice and learning to be a different kind of person and do a different kind of life, it's not very good teaching. And you'd say that training that isn't built on and flowing out of a biblical theological understanding of what the task is and what we're doing and how we do it and what we say, that that's, that would be very poor training. So uh, it's not as if thinking of an apprenticeship or a traineeship, and of course I'm involved in those here here in Sydney at Campus Bible Study, it's not as if it's a theology-free zone where you just go out and do practical stuff. Yeah. Um, but it does seek to tie those things very strongly together and recognize there's going to come a time when you need to dig really deeply into your theological foundations, when you need to learn Greek, when you need to read lots of big books. That time is coming when you're at theological college. 
But with a theology in mind and constantly thinking theologically about ministry, let's get in and do some stuff together and reflect together on why we're doing it and what we're doing. And in, in that sense, it's kind of like um, a little bit more like the daily round and practice of what ministry is or should be like when we're constantly thinking theologically but doing at the same time as we minister the gospel. So it's in that sense yeah, a taste of what ministry is like. You you have talked about this in the book, uh, The Vine Project, the follow-up, that we are to be apprentices to scripture. And I've always found that helpful because the word, the idea is I'm not just to learn scripture. Um, it's almost like the Matthew 28, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And so I'm apprenticing Christ through his word. So I'm learning not just the knowledge in his teachings, but learning to live like him through that knowledge. And I think that's been always a helpful thing that stuck with me as I, I try to read scripture now, not just to read it, but to be apprenticed by scripture. And so it's a similar thing that I'm trying to do in apprenticeship uh, to go back to my earlier example, which is very simplistic, I, I know, but in, it's not just getting them to read a good systematic theology. It's not less than that necessarily, but it's maybe saying, let's read the systematic theology together, talk about it, and then I want you to go to that high schooler and I want you to explain sovereignty and tell me how it went. That kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So it's 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 tying together uh, the understanding and the learning and the growing with the, with the living and the doing, both in your character um, and also in your practice and, and your ministry to other people. You're obviously fairly excited about this idea, Marty. What are you seeing? You've been running the apprenticeship program there at Old North Church for how long now? Uh, six years. Wow. Okay. Yep. Is it six years? That's extraordinary. It just seems yeah. like the other day that you were getting it underway. What have you found? What's been exciting about it and valuable about it so far? We'll talk about the challenges and obstacles as well in due course, but you do sound like you're an enthusiast for this idea. What have you seen that's valuable for those who've been involved, for Old North, for ministry, your ministry generally? Uh, I think what's exciting about it is that it tries to be the overflow of who we already are or what we try to be in a just general church congregation life. We're not just a bunch of people that learn about Jesus and try to behave morally. We're a bunch of people who want to be apprenticed by Jesus through his word and to go and apprentice others. And so in one sense, the apprenticeship is more and denser of what we're already doing. Uh, what we do in our groups and our classes and the like, uh, we're trying to not just instruct, but to, to apprentice people to be followers of Jesus, obeying him in everything they do, and to pass on the good deposit of faith to others. And so I I get excited because I see it's just the natural, to your earlier point of why you finished the book Trellis and Vine with it, it's the logical conclusion of being a training church or of being a training pastor. And so that's exciting. And what why I'm excited about it is that it's taken a good while. We're seeing the fruit of that, of constantly telling people and showing people that while in one sense these are apprentices, they're young people, we're excited about them, we love to have them around, we start to say, but you can be and do the same thing, even if you're not in the apprenticeship. So maybe we come back later or at some time talk. There are differences. We're not just saying that everyone is formally an apprentice, of course, but a, a big part of it, we do say, yeah, you and the apprentices are the same people. You're being ministered by the gospel and you're ministering the gospel. So that's that's exciting because people are starting to get that. Um, but I would say very specifically exciting because, as you know, Tony, working with the CBS students and trainees, there is something is unique about being in your early 20s often. It's an influential time of your life. It's an opportunity to invest a, a portion of your time that you will never have again. And 
you don't have some of the obstacles that I have now with four children and lots of other responsibilities. So it's exciting to watch the next generation, now two generations down from me, start to be excited about the reality of living for Jesus on their own as adults and passing on that ministry to them. And interestingly, as much as the apprenticeship we try to tie together, there's this kind of this neat uh, iterative process is that we tell the congregation, hey, look at the apprenticeship. It's part of what we do. It's not just extra. It's, it's part of who we are. But as they look at the apprentices, they and then the congregation gets excited about ministry themselves. So it's just this neat circle that kind of feeds itself. You were just saying a moment ago that it's kind of like the logical, natural next step, the logical extension of being a training church, of having a sort of training culture in your church. What do you mean by that briefly? It's worth clarifying what you mean by being a training church or having a training culture. Yeah, so I did read the entire book, The Trellis and Vine, um, <laughs> and I was convinced beforehand, but you gave us the words to understand it more clearly, conceptually, is that if we believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all, and if we believe that the gospel is spread by the teaching and preaching of that message, that news, then we must spend our entire lives as Christians dedicated to that cause and to that end. Now, if that is the most important thing in the goal of my life, it sets the course of my life, it makes sense then that some people should spend as much time as possible because of their gifts, their circumstances, their abilities, and so on. And so it, that's kind of the man-centered view of it. I would say that biblical kind of vision is, we use it in our apprenticeship, it was Matthew 9, 37, 38. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few, few. Therefore, pray earnestly for laborers for the harvest. He tells the disciples that, interestingly enough, in chapter 10, right in the next verses, he sends those very same disciples and commissions them to go be laborers for the harvest. They are the fulfillment of their own prayers. Um, and so it's a big vision of God, a big vision of the importance of the gospel for the world, and also a big vision of who we are as Christians. And you put that all together, you can say, well, we need more workers for the harvest. We want to deploy more people to preach the gospel for as much time as they can dedicate it to. Uh, and so because of those things, we got to train people to do that. It's interesting that as you set that big biblical vision of, of Jesus and his kingdom and us working together to make disciples, to make apprentices, that's what the word disciple really means, to, to make learners of Jesus. And that's who we all are and that's what we're all involved in. And that church life involves teaching and training and building and edifying one another to be part of that effort together, to all contribute in our own ways, to speak the word in our own ways, to pray for others, to relate to others. As you build that kind of culture within a congregation, both through just how you do everything, but also in the way you structure things, in the sort of training kind of opportunities you provide for people to learn how to share the word with others and how to encourage others and so on in the way you set up your small groups to be those kinds of places all that stuff then people will bubble up to the surface who do have those gifts and opportunities and circumstances and who have the opportunity and the potential to be able to do this work with all of their lives as it were i mean we all do it with all of ourselves and our lives but some of us need to work for a living and 
Some of us get set aside to do this work without working for a living, to be supported by others. And it's the apprenticeship is really that natural extension of seeing there are certain people who, who bubble to the surface. But it's interesting that the two are just very vitally connected. It's not as if we want to do lots of training of everybody so as the, the main goal is to find the elite and train them. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not as if finding apprentices and training them is the ultimate goal to which the other is just to kind of step along the way. Two are just really closely connected. If we want to see the gospel grow in the world and in our church, we need to keep raising up gospel workers, full-time gospel workers. But those gospel workers and all of us work together. And if we want to see the gospel grow, we've got to raise up everybody and train everybody and build that training culture and mindset, which I guess is one of the main, main messages of the book, really, in many ways, isn't it? I remember, Tony, when you were here in the States last, there was a group of campus workers at our house in here in Ohio that asked you basically the, the classic American Christians uh, question, tell me about your call in the ministry. And you, I, I remember this, and it was striking in its simplicity. My call in ministry first relates to my general call as a Christian to be a minister of the gospel. And then you went on to talk about your specific circumstances and the way that all worked out specifically how and how your ministry shape has been different than maybe a pastoral, formal pastoral ministry. And yet you're still a pastor in many respects of the words. Um, I won't go back to the previous two ways news to talk about that, but that's for other questions. But um, I find that same similar thing here, Tony, that the role of an apprenticeship only relates to the church as well as we relate it to the general role that we place on all Christians to train them for gospel work. And so if we're going to think about an apprenticeship as this kind of side thing, and we do it over here, it's nice to have these young chaps, these young kids in here, and they're great to have. Uh, it, it may be good in God's kindness, but it's not really getting at the heart of it. And can I just add one more thing to the biblical vision? Because I can't help. My nose has been in the forthcoming or recently released, Share the Gospel, depends on when. And you, in the first study of that, make a very compelling case from 2 Corinthians 5 on through chapter 6, verse 2. And our good friend Ian Carmichael helped us with seeing some of this as well. I love this. This is the time of the Lord's favor. It's the day of salvation. Anybody who calls on help for the Lord, he will respond. And if we hear, read that and hear that, then we don't, as it says in 6.1, we don't want to uh, receive the grace of God in vain. This is the day of God's favor. This is the day of salvation. And let's be ambassadors offering up reconciliation to God. It's just, it was very well done. And I, I can't help but to kind of gush over that uh, <laughs> idea and want to hear everybody, uh, everybody get that vision. Um, yeah. And then I want to train our apprentices specifically how to train everyone else to get that vision. <laughs> it's almost like the vision of reaching the world with the gospel of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation that we've been commissioned with and given. We've been reconciled to God and we've been given a message and a ministry of reconciliation as God's ambassadors to implore and appeal to the world, to people. That big vision of seeing the gospel go to the world, that now is the time for salvation. We want everybody in our street, in our nation, in the whole world to hear this gospel that big vision of the gospel and of, of the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel kind of drags the whole thing forward towards that. It's almost like it's the driver that's pulling us to train everybody for that vision and to excite everybody about that 
call of God in their lives to participate in his great mission in the world. And as we do that, it's also what inspires and fires up young people with the vision that I, I want to spend my life doing this. I'm, I'm going to give yeah. up my small ambitions of being a lawyer or a doctor or a successful middle class person. And I, I'm, going to, I'm going to spend all my time and energies doing that. Uh, and it's, but as you say, the the big call and the big driver of the whole thing is when it grips your life, that your life is no longer lived for yourself, but for the one who died for you and, and rose again, as two Corinthians five says, and that my whole life is now lived in His service. Uh, and so, the next decision, the decision to say not be a dentist, but to spend our time, spend more of my time ministering the gospel, is quite a small decision by comparison. Absolutely. Uh, now that I'm officially old, you know, I, I crank about the world and lament about the world. But, you know, as much as I am pessimistic, that passage reminds me this is a time of the Lord's favor. How could I not yeah. be excited yeah. about waking up tomorrow uh, knowing I'm living in the time of favor? Yeah. So let me ask you, Tony, why would you think someone did? We've just, I hope, casted at least some excitable vision. Why would someone not do it then? Do what are some what? of the reasons you've heard? Yeah. Do you mean why would someone not pursue an apprenticeship themselves or why would a church not pursue apprenticeship as an idea? Well, we could tackle both. We don't have the time, but I would say given the, the, the we started with the lost parts of Charles and Vine, mostly church leaders. Why would a church then not do an apprenticeship? I mean, I, I know why churches have, when they talked to me said they can't and they won't, but uh, what, what have you heard? I think probably the most common response is, or there are two common responses. One is, we just don't have anyone who's interested. We don't have we don't have a lot of young people at our church like you guys do at the university, or we we don't see those sort of people. Um, so I like the idea in principle, but I just can't see who it is that I'd recruit in our current circumstance. So that would be yeah. the number one thing um, that I hear people say, and and that in one sense it's good to acknowledge that that can be the case. It depending on on where you are and the kind of congregation you're in, it will affect the number of people who might be at a stage of life or a time of life when they do want to stop and really get trained. However, it's it's good not to be too limited by that. There's a, a number of people who've had enormous success in saying to men and women who are approaching kind of the middle part of their lives where they've right their kids are getting older, they've they've been working, they've done a lot of that stuff, they've in a sense they've got to that sort of late forties, early fifties time of their life and they're thinking, What's next? Um and in our world, and the way our world is, what's next could be the next 30 years of really productive work when we still have the energy and, and, and ability to do all sorts of great things. And the idea of stopping at the age of 50 to do an apprenticeship and to rethink what I'm doing with my life and to start again and to pursue a, a ministry um, to all, perhaps even a ministry that's going to involve the huge lump of baby boomer people who are all uh, performing such a forming such a large part of our culture. That's a great opportunity. So on one level, the age profile kind of thing, while it certainly is a question, it's not a definitive one. I think the most significant reason that people can't quite think yet about having an apprenticeship is that they haven't yet got to the point of really building a training culture in their church. Yeah. It's kind of a first step. And and so the idea that I'd be raising up people and people would be bubbling to the surface uh, who really want to do this full time, it just seems a long way down the track to me. And and it may be true. It may be that there needs you need to do some work in building the culture and mindset of the congregation uh, and, to see, and pray that God would send someone along. 
but what, what's what yeah. about you, Marty? What are your impressions? Yeah, I think a lot of the obstacles are trellis obstacles, right? Um, of course, in a sense that some of the reasons you said are limited by the people in front of you, funding, um, there are trellis obstacles. But if we take our cues from the trellis and vine idea of build ministry around people, maybe you don't, like you said, you don't necessarily can't or won't start with a full-fledged formal apprenticeship, but you can start building a little a mini apprenticeship, local mini apprenticeship around the people in your midst. And so train three people how to read Colossians with someone else and walk with them as they go through Colossians with you, you then hold their hand and as they go through Colossians with someone else. And you could build a trellis that's a mini apprenticeship. And if prayer and effort keep uh, going, um, who knows? The Lord may give you the opportunity to have a full-fledged apprenticeship. But I, I think we just get restrained by thinking too much of like, I have to have it this a certain way. To your point, we don't make a start. So I try to encourage everybody, wherever they're at, you can have a start at this with the idea that apprenticeship can and should be something you work towards wherever you're at now. I think the other obstacle is, and it relates to what we were saying before about the big vision of of the gospel and of Jesus, is that our vision can be too small. It can easily become focused on just, here's our church, looking after the people I have, surviving, getting through the stress of, of being in ministry and working things in my local church. And we can lose that larger vision that, that the thing we're doing is part of the big work of the gospel in the world. And so we don't have, in that sense, not just a training culture, but a sending culture. The idea that mm. we're trying to, we want to send people out from our midst into the world. And that's a huge part of, in a sense, what drags forward the idea that training ends up in recruiting and apprenticing and sending our best people out to share the gospel with others. Well, dear listeners, apologies, but that's where my conversation with Marty Sweeney had to conclude. We had a little technical problem. Somebody snipped the Trans-Pacific Cable or something. Anyway, that's where our conversation finished. We did have a few other things we did want to chat about, but I do hope all the same that what we did talk about got you thinking about ministry apprenticeship. As a description, I guess at one level of what the Christian life is about, to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ who makes other apprentices, and as a description of, I guess, what our whole church culture should be about, making these apprentices who make other apprentices, but also specifically as an initiative to raise up and train men and women to do that full-time with their whole lives. We're keen, as always, to hear your thoughts on this issue as to how your church is going in raising up disciple-makers, raising up apprentice-makers, and as part of that whole process, raising up workers for the kingdom, workers for the harvest. Do get in touch and let us know what you think and ask your questions. You can hit reply to the email that comes out each week, the Two Ways News email, if you're on that list. And I encourage you to get on that list if you're not on it already. Or you can just email me at tonyjpain at me.com. Well, thanks for being here again today and looking forward to being back with you again next week when Philip will be back on deck as well. Talk to you then. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.